Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at oalaig.org, where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. The, the opinions expressed on the Light a Candle Podcast are, the, are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Janet. And I uh, very coordinatedly uh, fell and broke my foot uh, uh, last Sunday, the Sunday before last. It's all sort of melding together in my mind, so forgive me for sitting. Um, it's a privilege and an honor to be asked to speak at an Overeaters Anonymous meeting, and I am very grateful and um, uh, humbled to be here tonight and to share my experience, strength, and hope. And there are a lot of young people in the room, which is very exciting to see. I was 23 when I first came to Overeaters Anonymous and um, learned about the disease of compulsive overeating. And my um, early childhood experiences, which was chaos and anger and um, and um, some violence um, masked by uh, sarcastic humor. And by the time I got out of the house, um, I was set on a course that um, had me attracting the wrong kind of partners, the wrong kind of bosses, and um, having a very um, uh, topsy-turvy kind of lifestyle in my in my early twenties. And um, when I was fourteen, my parents put me on my first diet. I had started to gain weight, and um, and I well, basically was out to here and then out to here. And my father was uh, completely obsessed with how my body should be different than it was. And so the food was taken away, and I learned how to sneak, and I learned how to cheat, and I hid food in the, in the, in the hamper in the bathroom, because that's the only place you could go to be alone in our house. And um, I had to eat that food. I was a sugarholic. It did something for me that it didn't do to other people in my family. It calmed me. It, it, it was my companion. It was my, um, it was my lover. It was the thing that I did to get to that place of being high that I tried to do later with alcohol and um, other substances. But food was my first, um, my, the first way I could alter my brain chemistry by eating the sugar or the flour and, and hopefully in, in copious amounts of combinations. And um, my first binge was cutting a cake one tiny sliver at a time while my parents were out entertaining our relatives and um, before I knew it the cake was gone and I ran to the market got another one of those cakes 
um, there was no microwave back then, so uh, I needed for it to thaw out, and then I ate it down to where it had been before I started. That was my first binge. And um, when I had um, gotten to about 17, I met a boy that I was obsessed with, and um, at one point I was able to diet and lose a little bit of weight. I was about 15, 20 pounds overweight, and I was able to lose a little weight, and my father and my mother dragged me from one plastic surgeon to another, um, trying to alter the shape of my body, and in the end, um, decided that because of the ramifications of such a thing, that they would let me make that decision on my own when I was of legal age. And I, I do really, I'm grateful now that they, that they left me alone. And I didn't know I had a crisis until they made it one for me. One of the things that I did was marry a man who liked really skinny, um, small women, and um, that was not who I was. And I was a Zoftic, um, uh woman who was round in all the ways a, a woman can be round, and, um, and it wasn't a good match. And uh, intellectually, we were really well matched, and we, we, we connected on a lot of levels, but it was a disaster from the start. And instead of having my parents watch every bite I ate, I had a husband now watching every bite I ate. And um, uh, I quickly um, disposed of that relationship and was off and running to the races. And what I discovered was um, I got to a certain size and I was uncomfortable. Now it was about me. Now it was about what I wanted for, for my body, what I wanted for my nourishment, and the insanity that, um, that, that the eating brought to me, because I was like a hobbit. I had breakfast, then there was, a, then there was second breakfast, then there was 11 Z's, <laughs> then there was lunch, then there was after, after work, the, what are you going to eat for the drive home, and then there was the rest of the night for how much could I into my face and I lived alone I was on my own for the first time and there was just me and the food and I, w- and I thought I was in heaven and I had a boss who had six years of sobriety who um, this behavior had not gone un- unnoticed and she said to me I'm taking you to an Overeaters Anonymous meeting and I said what is that and she said you'll see <laughs> so I arrived here at age 23, separated from my first husband, um, and um, uh, I was not really quite ready. I got the pamphlet, The Dignity of Choice. I chose a food plan. I started to not eat sugar one day at a time, and the weight started falling off of me, and um, I had moved to the valley from the west side. I found the starving apartment on Dickens Street. I don't know anyone who hasn't lived on Dickens Street that lives in the valley, <laughs> and um, it is. <laughs> and um, 
Um, what happened for me was I didn't get a sponsor. I didn't work the steps. I didn't read the big book. I mean, I kind of sort of did, but I didn't absorb any of it. And I had this successful weight loss for the first time in my life. And my life was still chaotic. I was still making choices. I got into a relationship right away. Um, I think I was in my own apartment five months before, you know, and I got into a relationship, and that was really chaotic. And one of the things that I know now that I didn't know then was that my father, I kept recreating my father over and over and over and over in my life. And the way I see it now is that it was something that was coming up to be healed. And, you know, the way I saw it then was, how can I be so stupid? How can I make the same mistake? You know, they they always look different no matter how they looked at the interview, no matter how nice and kind they were at the interview. The first mistake, you know, I was going to debtor's prison. And I, you know, I uh, by then I had, had come to the program. I had lost the weight. I'd had a relapse, got into the program, got a sponsor. The sponsor did not like me. So every time I called her, I had to read what was on the page. She would not let me just talk to her. And so that was really, really good training. And within maybe three or four weeks, we were totally uh, in sponsor love. And uh, I got really good direction. She taught me some really strict AA. She told me to get to a meeting early to put my hand out and and ask people for their names. And if somebody looked more uncomfortable than I was, to just go up and talk to them. She told me to get a... she told me to get a, a commitment at every meeting that I went to and to have one home meeting that I went to no matter what. She taught me how to um, commit my food. She taught me how to um, start setting boundaries. That was really awkward, really awkward. Um, the first time somebody set a boundary with me, I thought I was going to lose my mind. I, I, I felt like somebody had slapped me in the face. And all she did was I was coming up to join the conversation, and she didn't want me to join the conversation, so she put her hand out to say, not now. And you would have thought I'd been struck physically. I was raised in a barn. I had no idea that you observed what people were doing, and then you made an appropriate decision. And um, appropriateness was not my flair. I had a very exuberant personality and a very loud voice. What I had was undiagnosed ADHD. And um, unfortunately, that did not get diagnosed until much later in life, which has helped me to really um, have a different experience, have a really different experience in life today. So what happened for me was I continued to um, work the program and and date inappropriate men one after another. (laughs) I have been engaged six times.
times I have been married. I have been married three times. I gotta tell you, three's the charm. Three's the charm. And um, the um, the only reason three is the charm is because I've done my work. I've done my work. When I did my work, he started changing. He wasn't going to therapy. He wasn't going to a meeting. He wasn't talking to a sponsor. But boy, did he change when I did my work. And what happened for me was there was a lot of darkness in between. Doors closed. Windows didn't open yet. And I did the one thing I hope you will never do. I left these rooms. I left these rooms for 20 years. I got up to that top weight of 300 pounds, and um, and I was um, hopeless that I'd ever be a normal-sized woman again. I I was I burned um, I burned out my husband. I mean, my now husband, who was my boyfriend at the time. I burned him out by making us move once a year every year. I didn't know that that was a classic symptom of incest. I didn't know changing jobs once to three times a year was a classic symptom of incest. I didn't know that um, being unable to set boundaries with people was a sign of incest. I mean, there is so much that I did not know after years of working this program. I availed myself of outside help. That's all I'm going to say about it. When I finally got diagnosed with ADHD and they put me on some medication that changed my life, it was less than two weeks before I came back to the program after 20 years of being out. I had a spiritual experience. I was an atheist. I had... Um, I had had weight loss surgery while I was out there, lost 100 pounds, gained 25, lost 25, gained 25, lost 25, nine years of insanity, nine years of insanity. And I got on that medication, which is an outside issue, but it just was such an incredible change of life for me that's part of my story, and um, it's not for everyone. But what happened for me was I got that clarity. I had that moment of clarity, and I um, I reached out to a God I did not believe in and asked for help and said, if you can help me, please. I, I need help. I'm desperate, and I can't go on like this. And in that moment, I knew that I had been relieved of the obsession because I was about to go out at... 11.45 p.m. on the Sunday night, uh, November 30th of 2014, when we had the Reseda slasher on the loose. There was literally a guy with a knife um, attacking people at bus stops and parking lots, and I was going to go out to get some more binge food. And that's when I had my moment of clarity. That was my... Um, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization that they talk about in the big book. I knew for sure, for once and for all, to the innermost corners of my being that I'm a compulsive overeater, I have this disease, I'm an addict, and nothing short of surrender is going to help me. And um, and my life changed that day. I called... Um, a friend who was in the program, 
I said, I've been blessed with abstinence. I don't want to lose, lose it. Can you help me? Can I call my food into you? She said, yes. Um, she said, what are you doing? Um, well, I was a shut-in. I didn't drive. I didn't leave the house at that point. And I said, well, I'm going to a phone meeting at um, 7.30 this morning, and then I'm going to um, tidy up a little, and that's my day. And she said, okay, I want you to go to a face-to-face meeting. I said, okay. So there was a 12.30 meeting. I went to that. Called her the next day. She said, I want you to meet me at a 7.30 a.m. meeting in, in um, Studio City on Sunday morning. And I opened my mouth to say, I'm sorry, you don't understand. I'm disabled. I don't get up that early. I had my whole script. I had my whole story ready. And I opened my mouth and said, okay, I'll be there. And that's my home group. I've been there for three years and four weeks, I think, now. It will be four weeks tomorrow. And it's my home group. And I didn't know a soul in that room except for my friend. And um, and now those people are like family to me. Um, I met my sponsor there. I... Um, I went through the steps again, and what I have been given is the knowledge that my program is dependent upon a spiritual condition that's maintained by doing my work every day. And that relationship with the higher power that I gave lip service to for the 14 years I'd been in the program before I left I um, I never really developed that relationship, and I kind of saw God as um, kind of a Santa Claus. If I got what I wanted, then God was good. If I didn't get what I wanted, and you know, I knew all the platitudes, and I knew you know God's you know rejection is God's protection, and you know there's three answers to prayer: yes, no, not yet. Um, uh, but to take it to heart, for it to be part of who I was, and to allow, you know, I, I thought that if I turned my own my life over to God, that he'd send me, you know, <coughs> a Jewish girl to um, Zimbabwe as a missionary or something. Like, I really thought God would make difficult terms with me, and I found out that when I devote my mornings. I get up at six o'clock. I get up at a quarter to six in the morning. I was not, I've never been a morning person. I had no discipline. I had no schedule. Um, I would set a timer for 4.45 in the afternoon so that I could stand at the entryway of our home and, and see what my husband would see when he was coming in and then tidy that up before he got home. But I had to set a, a, an alarm to remind me to think about him for four minutes out of the day. And um, when I started coming back to meetings and I started developing a relationship with a God I understand, um, everything changed. And um, I went back to work after five years of of, um, disability. I got this really humble job working in the OA office in the Valley. And... um, and they didn't think that they would be able to attract a bookkeeper for the amount of money they were offering. And 
to me, I hadn't made any money to speak of in years, so it was like, oh, I get this much an hour? Okay, I'll do it. And it turned out to be one of the greatest benefits of my life. I get to do the business of the fellowship in the San Fernando Valley. A year later, the Los Angeles Intergroup was looking for someone, and they, they took their feelers out, and my then sponsor said to the then chair, um, well, why don't you talk to our gal? And the next thing I knew, I was traveling into the city two days a week. This is a girl who couldn't go to the post office three blocks away. And, um, and so I've been doing that job for a year and a half. So I'll be three years in the OA office in May. And um, that's just like right around the corner. It amazes me. I sponsor six women who call me four days a week. We work the steps. We go through the books. Um, we, um, some of them call their food in. Some of them write their food in. Some of them take pictures and send them in. Um, they're almost, they're mostly younger women, and it's a pleasure to work with them. And if there's anything that I can um, impart, if there's any wisdom that I've gained from all the mistakes I've made, it is such a pleasure to be able to share that with someone younger who might who might stop and think, hmm, you know, what does my behavior say about me? What, is, what, is, what are the things that I'm unable to say no to say about me and say about what I might not know about myself? Because there were so many things I didn't know about myself, and I, 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 I thought I was an open book. And what has really happened for me has been this incredible blossoming I used to make a lot more money. I was very busy. I was booking, you know, more work every week than I could actually get done. I had farmed out work. I had bookkeepers in situations that I was overseeing. I, I mean, I had all of that going on. And then the crash came in 2009 because all of those companies were entertainment-based. And um, money dried up, like, overnight. And to go back to this, Serene work that brings me joy, and I am more prosperous today than I was. All that money coming in and out of the till, you know. Um, I um, I did discover early in my OA career that I um, do have a problem with alcoholism, and I did take appropriate steps for that, and that, and, and I'm sober 33 years. But the thing that was my drug of choice was the, was the thing that I had such a hard time putting down permanently. I do believe I put it down permanently, but I only get the gift one day at a time, and I have to ask for it. I could not white knuckle through a day of abstinence. I am not a dieter. I am not a restrictor. I've never, um, uh, and I've never, you know, I don't give up my food. Once it's down, it's mine, don't you know? And, and I really, I really feel um, a sense of purpose and, um, and, a, and, a, and a, a kindness and a, and a softness to myself and to my life that um, I might have wanted, but couldn't hope to achieve, and it 
turned out that all I had to do was surrender. Because the thing is that as long as I have this idea, if I've got one good idea left, if I think I can handle this thing, if I think I can have, you know, um, you know, X on Christmas because it's a holiday, if I have any of those kinds of lingering notions, then I'm not surrendered. And for me, it is a privilege to eat my abstinent food. I do not think about what I don't eat. I I think about the nourishment. I try not to have a single thing that has zero um, nutritional value. And um, I don't eat empty calories um, for the most part. And I plan my food. I do the same thing every week practically because I like it. I mean, I'm flexible. If I said I was going to have turkey burgers for dinner and we decide to go and have chicken instead, I don't, you know, it's not a crisis for me. Um, But I like to keep it simple and I like to keep my cooking simple. And... um, I like to feel comfortable in my own skin. I've never been the same size for three years before, ever. Um, I've been thinner. I've been fatter. I've never been consistent. I've never been able to go to my closet and everything in it fits me. And, and I don't have to go through the... I mean, I watched my husband go through it. He, he, you know, he puts something on and he looks in the mirror and goes, oh, and then goes back and gets something else. And I go there but for the grace of God I totally I know what that feels like and today it's about relationships um, I um, I live in a I live in what qualifies for a tiny house because it's only 640 square feet and and um, I look at my things and I, I ask myself what can I part with and um, I have a friend who comes over and helps me. In fact, she was here yesterday at my house, um, there yesterday, helping me um, reclaim some space that I had lost control of. And I, and I tried to find one thing that we could get rid of, but they were all business-oriented things, and so we just found places for them. And I like the idea of... Um, having less and doing more and being more. I really like it. And I'm not about bigger, better, more. However, I am remodeling my kitchen (laughs) so that it's more useful for us so we have an actual place to sit and dine. And um, the way that our our place is set up, we don't have that. And in a few weeks, we will. But before that happens, we will be all going to the OA birthday party, I hope. And uh, there's a lot of the committee in the room, so that, you know, we're, we're kind of vibrating at this point. It's so close. And I'm the treasurer of the birthday party, so you'll see me in my knee scooter in the middle of the, in the, middle of the, of the rooms in the floor, the foyer area. Um, and, uh, and so when you see me, just open your wallet. No. <laughs> I may have a, a string of uh, 50-50 tickets around me that I might be uh, hawking a Chinakin. And, uh, um, but um, I just really am so grateful for Overeaters Anonymous and everything that I've been given. I have such love, tolerance, and patience from my sponsor, and I have such um, joy and um, 
I, there's no better word for it, nachos from my um, sponsees because it's a joy to give this thing away. And I really believe it comes through us so that when my hand's extended, it's coming through. And to the degree that I think I need to hold myself back for me um, is where I'm cutting off my source. And I think it's the human condition to go back to that position, which is why we all need each other. And I'm, you know, grateful to be a member, and um, I'm hoping that we're... Oh, okay, good. We can open up for questions. Thank you. How has your relationship with your husband changed since you're recovering? Oh, my God. And Janet, if you could repeat the question. I'll repeat. Okay, I will repeat the question. How has my relationship with my husband changed? Well, um... It's changed in miraculous ways. Um, I was going along thinking everything was fine, and a little over a year ago, um, we had an incident, and um, he asked me to move out. And I said, oh, oh, okay. (laughs) You know, it's like, we're out of milk. Yeah, well, why don't you just move out? I mean, you know, it was that shocking. I mean, it wasn't exactly what happened, but that's how shocking it felt. And I did have somewhere to go because of this program. I did have somewhere. I had had places that I could go and be safe. And um, instead, I I stayed and I... um, I stayed with him in his pain, and he broke open. And today we have a really, really, really strong relationship because of that incident. And, you know, I can't get somebody else to feel their feelings, and, and you know, and so I don't try. I, you know, but I was given this gift of coming to the, you know, coming to the, the edge of the cliff and being able to... Um, hold his hand and, and say, you know, maybe we don't have to jump today. And I tried to go to Al-Anon. Um, I did better with Al-Anon literature than I did with getting to meetings, um, mostly because of my work schedule. I do a swing shift, too. Somebody else said something about a swing shift. And um, uh, I, I, um, uh, I think about him a lot more today than I used to. I make a financial contribution that is um, in keeping with what my income is compared to his. And um, I ask him how his day was, and then I listen. And I don't tell him what to do. And I don't count his drinks. And I don't check the freezer to see what's in there. And lo and behold, there's nothing in there. So um, what's going on in our relationship now is um, he's letting me have my way completely on this remodel, and I am shocked. I am completely shocked. And when I was looking at $600 faucets um, online, he said, well, don't compromise. I was like, who are you and what they do with, with, with real Gary? And uh, so, you know, like I say, if I work my program, you know, he changes. It's really a beautiful thing. I'm so, so, so grateful that we stuck it out. Thanks for asking. Gina. 
Okay, she tells me what to do and then I don't do it. Oh. <laughs> How do I work out with my sponsor? How we work the steps? So um, I've just come through a little bit of a rebellion stage, and part of it was shame due to clutter on my desk. I said I was going to do this set of questions, then I couldn't find them. And then I couldn't find enough white space to write, to put a notebook down to write. And um, I said, okay, we've got a real problem here. And when I am kicking and screaming, that's how it shows up in my life. And so I call out for the appropriate help. So now, she was going to give me until after the birthday party to actually start them. But I actually sat down with them today. And, um, you know, um, I say to my sponsees, sometimes I do ask you to do what I'm unwilling to do. Um, and, you know, and we all go through those periods, but I, I can't get that far afield. It's, you know, it, it's my meditation, my prayer, and my readings are, are, um, are in line, and I'm taking that half an hour quiet time for myself. It's more than that because I meditate for 20 minutes. Um, I feel solid, but um, I was getting a little wonky on where am I with the steps today. Thanks for asking. Hi, thank you so much for your share. Um, what is your meal plan and how did you figure it out? Okay, so um, my meal plan, I did have weight loss surgery, so I physically have to eat more often than I did before I have that surgery or I will go into um, uh, hypoglycemia, quasi-diabetic shock. So I got a nutritionist who worked with Overeaters Anonymous members and had a lot of experience, strength, and hope in helping people get um, a food plan that worked for them. Uh, I had her help me. I got outside help. And the plan that we came up with for me to stay um, ahead of the curve, I have to ingest 85 grams of protein a day because I've been altered. So for me, I do breakfast. I do lunch, I do a snack between breakfast, a dinner and lunch, and then I do dinner. And if I have an episode where I start to go into hypoglycemia, I always have a um, no-sugar protein bar in my purse. And um, I plan my food in advance um, by shopping for it at the beginning of the week. I have all the food that I need in the house. And um, we know what we're having, you know, if it's Sunday, we're having turkey chili. If it's Monday, we're, you know, we're going for chicken, you know, chicken. And we, we have our plan and we know what we're doing. And like I said, I'm not rigid about it. If we change our mind and we do something else, you know, I know what I can eat in just about every restaurant um, that we go to. And I don't go somewhere without looking at the menu online. I don't agree to go to some place without um, looking at the menu and making sure it's good for me. Because one thing I failed to say is that my abstinence is the most important thing in my life. And because I am an addict. And if I don't take care of number one, then, you know, I'm heading down that slippery slope. So I hope that helps.
in the back. What does taking care of my abstinence look like? Um, it means um, when I get up in the morning, um, I, I, I know what I'm having that day. I know what I've agreed to do. I know where I'm going to be at what time. And I used to be the kind of person that if you wanted to have dinner on Tuesday, I'd have to let you know Tuesday at 4 p.m. because, you know, I was a prisoner of my fibromyalgia. Um, today, I know what I'm going to have. It's already in the fridge, and if I haven't cooked it, I know what time I'm cooking it. And um, when I go to my family, when I go to my sister's house for a holiday, I know she's going to have the protein, and I bring everything else. Um, I, um, I don't, like, for instance, last week on Christmas Eve, everybody wanted to go to Maggiano's. And um, I don't eat pasta, I don't eat pizza, I don't, you know, so I went online and saw that I could get a piece of fish and a salad, and I said, sure, that's fine. Um, luckily, they were completely booked, and we wound up at, uh, you know, a, a grill instead, so it was even easier. But I make sure that I have what I need, and I am really lucky I have such a great partner, um, but if I didn't have a great partner, um, and had my foot um, uh, in, the, in a cast. I have, I have tons of program friends who I could call and say, I need some of these protein bars and I need some of my non-fat yogurt. And I, you know, can you run and get it? And I reach out for help, which is something that I never did before. So I really make sure I know what I'm eating. Now, I don't know what I'm eating tonight, but I'm going with my sponsor, so I'm sure it's going to be abstinent. <laughs> yeah. um, how did you break through? You said um, you were afraid that your higher power was like you to be a missionary in Zimbabwe. How did you break through that fear and trying to surrender? The fear of going on with the food was so much greater than whatever God was going to ask for me in, in exchange. The, the fear that I might spend another or the next 25 years of my life, the last 25 years of my life in the food face down was so terrifying that I was willing to do anything, even work for $15 an hour, which was the worst thing God asked me to do. <laughs> and I don't make that anymore. So, you know, it's, it, it, you know, it's really... Um, I was willing, whatever it was, whatever it was, to get that power, um, you know, it was, it was worth it, and um, it says that God does not make, I don't know if it says this in the 12 and 12, but it, it, it infers that God does not make two um, hard terms for us when we, come to, when we come to it, her, him, them. And I, and I believe that. I believe that today. You know, someone at once asked me what my higher power was, and I said, somewhere between the God of um, Abraham and the Force. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that really works for me, because I find that when I'm in the flow, I, I hear the voice better. Okay, I'm done. All right. <laughs> Thank you.